You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Let's get into the Word as we are going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this evening. And when I prayed about sort of what I would share tonight, um, the... The idea was, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I spoke in the morning, so, you know, it's pretty, I could probably share the same thing in the evening and, and, and give you guys the better version of it. Because if you've ever spoken, I don't know if, you, if you've ever spoken, when you speak a message the first time, it usually is a lot better the second time around. So you guys are getting sort of the filet, the filet mignon tonight, okay, um, uh, uh, of that. But um, we're actually going through a series right now at, uh, at Proclaim that's called Placed for a Purpose. Um, it, 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 it's a book by um, Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. Um, if you want to pick it up, it's a short book. It only costs $5.99 on, on, on the Kindle app. Um, but it's a great book, and, and, and it's a great um, um, sort of correlation on, on how we can go ahead and be good neighbors, right? How, how God has called us to go ahead and be good neighbors and what that looks like, how we, how we as believers can apply the gospel to our own lives and how that can go ahead and move forward and, and, and be applied to how we interact and how we engage the world, right? Because whether you like it or not, wherever you are is where God has placed you. And you've been placed there for a purpose, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's, you know, within your family. And some of us are probably saying, man, I wish I wasn't placed in my family, right? But the reality is, is God has placed you there with a purpose. And I want to go ahead and, and share with you before we get into the main scripture. But, but um, if you go to Jeremiah 20, 29, right, Jeremiah 29, um, everyone knows Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans, you know, for a good future. Plans, you know, not to harm you, but for, for your good, right? Plans to go ahead and give you a purpose. Everyone loves that verse, and everyone quotes that verse, right? And everyone claims, that's my verse. I'm proclaiming it. I'm, I'm claiming it right now, right? I know God has a good future for me. But the context of that verse, the context of that verse, and if you really read Jeremiah and you read the position and condition that, that the Israelites were in, when God spoke that word to Israel, they were in bondage. They were under captivity. They were in Babylon. And if you go back a few verses to, to verse number 7, verse number 7, God is speaking to them as they are in bondage, as they are in a foreign place. They've been taken out of their homeland. And God says for them to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. They were in captivity. He was telling them, hey, you know what? Unpack the bags. Go ahead and give your daughters to sons and your sons to daughters. Have kids. You know, develop the land around you. Pray for the peace of the city. Pray for the peace of those who you're under captivity by, because you're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. God is telling them to pray for the peace, the peace of the city that they're in. And it points to the idea here um, that we as believers, as we understand the gospel, 
And, and we understand the full gospel. And this is the key here, right? Because a lot of times, um, a lot of times we get the gospel shared to us or, or, or someone shares Christ with us. And, and, and the focus is on, hey, you're a sinner, right? We live in this fallen world and you're broken and you need Jesus to go ahead and save you. So you get the idea of the fall, right? You get the idea of, of sinfulness, of Adam and Eve, you know, sort of eating from the fruit and, and, and betraying God. And because of that, we all are, are born under, the, under this lineage of sin in our lives. And, and we even sin ourselves and, and, and we're separated from God. And, you know, you know, the wages of sin is death. We all know the Roman road, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we're separated from God and, and we need someone to rescue us. And, and they give us that part, right, the fall, the bad news. And then they give us the good news. The good news is, hey, Jesus came to rectify all that, right? Jesus came to go ahead and show us, show us the way. Jesus came to be the way. He came to be the truth. He came to be the light. And it was through him that we have received redemption. He took, he took our punishment upon him on the cross so that that way we can be, re, have a renewed relationship with God the Father. He took us who were far away from him, and he brought us close through what he did on the cross. Amen? And, that's, and for many of us growing up, that's probably what was the gospel that we heard. But, but that's, a, that's a truncated gospel. That's a, that's a small gospel. And what I mean by that is, is that's not the full picture of what the gospel is. Because the full picture of the gospel is the fact that God created the world. He created it perfectly. He created this for you and for me to live in perfect harmony. And, and Adam and Eve got to experience that. They got to walk with God. They got to talk with God, right? They got to experience the, the amazingness, right, of actually strolling down the street, right, with, with, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. They got, they got to experience that, and it was perfect. So God's original intention was good for us. But then the fall happened, right? We took control, and then, and then Jesus came. Redemption, right? So you have creation, the fall, redemption, and now what? We've been saved, so we should all be going straight to heaven right now, right? No. The reality is, is there's restoration, there is a resetting of this kingdom that Jesus came to establish that now you and me get to participate in as we are, as we are now saved. We get to go ahead. The churches, these, the, 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 these gatherings of believers get to go ahead and be this picture to the world of what God's original intention was all along, right? That we would live in peace and harmony, intimacy with one another, right? Having real relationships. That's what neighboring is all about. That's, that's what God has placed us for in, in the world, wherever we are. Because the first neighborhood was, was small, right? The first neighborhood was, it was only God, Adam, and Eve, and it was perfect. And then the fall happened. And, and we're, experiencing, we're experiencing the results of that fall today, the brokenness, the pain, the lostness that we see in the world all around us. People trying to go ahead and fill their lives with everything that does not satisfy. How, how do we engage the world? How do us as believers engage the world as Christ has called us to go ahead and do? So Matthew chapter 9. 
If you want to turn there real quick, turn to the end of the chapter, because we're going to camp out and end that chapter for today's message. Some of you are like, man, this, he hasn't even started the message yet? What the heck is going on here? <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to try to keep it. <laughs> and someone looks at their watch. Thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is um, hey, uh, I... I'm the guy with the mic, so we're good. Don't worry. It's not going to be that long. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 9. And the title of today's message, okay, is I See You. I See You. You know, it's like, the, you know, you guys saw, saw Avatar. I see you, you know. I see you. I see you. Not, not really... The outside you, not the mask that you're wearing. I, I see you. I see the, the, the imago day in you. I see the image of God, his fingerprint on your life. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. Let's read together. When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, is talking about here. Matthew is writing that Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus saw the world. He saw those. And he had compassion on them. Ten-year-old Jeff Erlinger is seated in his wheelchair at the front porch of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Remember Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor, right? He used to love that guy, man. He used to love seeing that trolley, bing, bing, right? You remember, right? Brings back the memories. Well, there was an episode where this 10-year-old uh, child, his name is Jer Jeff Erlinger, was seated in his wheelchair at the front porch of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And it was clear that Mr. Rogers was expecting him as he squats down comfortably on the step just off the ground. He stays in position and in that posture. And for the entirety of their chat, even though the chat was only five minutes, it feels as you're watching, as you're experiencing this with Mr. Rogers, it feels as if Mr. Rogers' unhurried position, like only Mr. Rogers could, right? He would welcome you in, and you can listen to that guy talk all day long as he was sitting down, flipping one shoe to the other. You remember that? That was a cool trick. But he's sitting there listening and talking with young Jeff. And this boy's in a wheelchair. And he hangs on Jeff's every word as Jeff shares about the surgery that left him paralyzed at seven months old. He talks about his spinal tumors that his doctors uh, 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 have operated and, and about his bladder and another recent surgery that he, had, that he had just gone through. And all the while, Mr. Rogers is sitting there. He's, he's, he's on his knee and he's, he's listening so intently. And he's looking at the young man. He's looking at the boy and giving him his total attention. Mr. Rogers saw Jeff 
in that time. And as he's sitting there and, and, and Jeff is speaking, Mr. Roger asks, hey, Jeff, are you familiar with this song? It's you I like because I'd like to sing it to you and with you. A child who would have been otherwise overlooked is delighted in and seen. What a beautiful picture of the great commandment coming alive at home, right in, right in the neighborhood, right? With, un, with an unhurried attentiveness, Mr. Rogers sees Jeff. He sees the good parts and the painful ones and accepts them all by saying, hey, I like you. He offered this, this, this young 10-year-old and every viewer along with him an unconditional like. If that would have been Facebook, you would have seen the, the like check bling, go up on your, on your video, right? It, 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 it would have been automatic. So when I, when I tell you about this scene and about this clip and about this, this moment with Mr. Rogers, why... Does a clip like this move us? What is it about being seen and accepted that touches us in such a way? It's because we long to be loved like this. We long to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, to, to have someone come in and just give us their time. It's one of the things my wife, my wife gets on me about all the time. Stop staring at your phone, Will. Would you give me your attention, Will? Will, put your phone away. Right? She calls it my other woman. <laughs> she's right. Listen, she's right. We long to be loved like this. Many times there's a part of us that says it's, good, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. That someone would actually give us their time, but the reality is is Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God, our God who is with us, who stepped out of his glory and into humanity, unhurriedly is sitting by your side. He's sitting on your porch step, and he's bending the knee to meet your gaze and to hear your thoughts, and the reality is this, he likes you. He really, really likes you. It's hard to believe that sometimes. It's hard to, to, to comprehend that the God of the universe could like someone like me, someone who has turned his back on him so many times, who has sinned against him, who has, who, 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 who has done worse than Peter, right? I mean, I, I think about Peter denying him three times. I mean, that God would, would care about me. But Jesus, I, I want to encourage you tonight. Christian, Jesus sees you. He sees you and he loves you. We can see in chapter 9, as I said, that was the end of chapter 9 where he, he sees this gaze and he looks at, he looks at the people of the city because at this time, in, in this portion of Scripture, in the book of Matthew chapter 9, he's actually returned from, his, from, from some of his excursions and, and he's come back to his hometown, Yes? Jesus had a hometown. No, he wasn't from Boston. He wasn't from Brooklyn, okay? He wasn't like me, right? 
Go Mets, okay? Go Giants. Hopefully they have a better year next year. They got a, new, uh, a whole new um, uh, 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 management office. But, but he did have his own, his own hometown. Jesus had a home base. He worked from Capernaum. You know, it wasn't Nazareth, because Nazareth, you remember Nazareth, they tried to go ahead and, and throw him off the, off the, off the cliff when, when he went to Nazareth. They were like, man, get this guy out of here. You know, who does this guy think he is? That's why the Bible says the prophets never received in his home. So he went to Capernaum, this, this place in Galilee where he was able to go ahead and launch his ministry, his ministry. And for three and a half years, that was his home base. That was his hometown. So I want you to, I, I, I want you to take a, a trip with me as, as we think about Jesus actually having, because we, we think about Jesus sometimes and we say, man, this, this guy was like perfect. He was the savior of the world, right? He was, uh, 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 you know, just walking on water, right? Healing all these people. But, but we got to understand that, yes, he was 100% fully God, but he was also 100% fully man too. And he had a hometown. He had, he had a house. He probably had a, a, a townhouse, right? You know, nothing too luxurious because he didn't want to go ahead and, and, and step out. You know, it wasn't like Florida prices right now that are skyrocketing right now. He had, he had a, probably a townhouse, man, you know, a couple bedrooms, had some neighbors, right? Had someone upstairs. He had that neighbor, you know, that neighbor that always plays their music loud, right? And keeps you up at half the night. You know, Jesus probably knew the, the, the grocery store owner and he knew sort of these people who would sell fish or maybe even, you know, a, 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 he, he would go ahead and walk through the neighborhood. And, and see the children playing, and, and, and he would know people, and he would be known by them. It's amazing because if you if you look at if you look at chapter nine, chapter nine is really jam packed with a lot of stuff that Jesus does, but it's all within his hometown. Let's look at that real quick. And I want you to go ahead and see as Matthew here is pointing out to us. Verse 1, it says, Jesus stepped out into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Okay, there you go. It wasn't Will that said it. The Bible said that Jesus had his own town, right? He had his own place. He had his own neighborhood. And we see the first miracle that's done. What happens? These men... And, and in other portions of the gospel, we understand it was four men. They were inside of Peter's house as, as the house was crowded, right? And no one can go ahead and get in. And these four guys go ahead and carry their friend on top of the roof. You know the story, right? They break the roof open. They, they lower him down that, I wish, I wish I had friends like that, man, that would go ahead and do anything for me, right? That would go ahead and put themselves in danger, man, that would go ahead and, 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 and step out in faith like that and... and what is this? Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And I want you to pay attention to the next words. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, and he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw them. He saw this man on the mat. He didn't just look at the situation and say, Oy vey, what are you guys doing? You guys just broke through the roof. Are you kidding me? No, he didn't go ahead and say that, right? As I'm sure Peter and Peter's wife were probably going amok. But what, what is this guy? What are they doing? What, what do they think? No. Jesus saw them. He saw them. This man that was lying on a mat, 
They probably had to go ahead and beg for, 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 for his substance that everybody would walk by and probably not, not pay attention to, not look at the eye. You know, you know how it is when we are driving down the highway exiting on Delray, uh, on Atlantic Avenue, or on Gateway, or Boynton Beach Boulevard, and there's that guy there holding the sign. You know the way we look away and we don't see them. That person standing there has the image of God, the fingerprint of God upon their lives. You know, I'm guilty of it. But Jesus, not Jesus, man, Jesus, he saw him. He saw the faith. And he looks at the man and says, hey, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And he heals them. Emmanuel, God with us, he saw him. Keep moving forward. Verse number nine. As Jesus is coming back into his, into his hometown, probably passing by saying hi to the people that he knows. In the middle of the street, there was a guy. You know that guy. The guy that everybody avoids, the guy that no one likes. Maybe you have someone like that in your neighborhood, right? The one who's got, you know, who painted his house, the I love my neighbor yellow. You know that guy, right? Yeah, right? And it says in verse 9, as he went on from there, he saw this man named Matthew. I want you to know that this is, this, this is the same Matthew that is writing here, who is writing and penning this book. Matthew was a tax collector. And within, within the Jewish uh, 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 heritage, within the nation of Israel, as they were under subjugation by the Romans, right, they were in captivity, you had these guys who were, who were working in cahoots, they were working in conjunction with, with, with the Roman higher-ups, and they would go ahead and charge everyone taxes. And they weren't known to be good guys. They were known to be guys who would say, hmm, okay, Shmuel over here owes me uh, 10 shekels. We're going to add five more shekels onto there because there's a processing fee for me to put into my pocket, right? 10 will go to the Romans, five will go to me, and... Shmuel will go ahead and be okay. They were hated. They were, they were hated. These, ca- these tax collectors were hated because they were their own people taking advantage of themselves, right? And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Does Jesus say, look at this guy. What a knucklehead over here, man. I don't know. You're lucky I came to save everybody because if I didn't, I wouldn't have saved you, right? Did he say that? Think about I mean, if that was me, I would have been like, yo, dude, you better clean yourself up before you come to me, right? But does Jesus say that to him? No. What does Jesus say? What, what does it say here? And Jesus went on from there. And he saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he tells Matthew, follow me. And he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. 
And not only, did, not only did Jesus go ahead and call this guy who was a tax collector, not only did Jesus go ahead and see this guy interact, it says that he went to go ahead and hang out at his house. And I want you to know that Jesus, by the Pharisees and, and by the Sadducees and, and the religious leaders, you know, they used to call him a friend of sinners, right? And, and I want you to know that, that when they called him the friend of sinners, this was not sort of like a pat on the back. Jesus, you're such a good guy. You're a friend of sinners, man. I wish I could be like you. No, this was an insult to the umpteenth degree. They were slandering him because you were not supposed to, to be in cahoots or be in consorts with anyone who was considered a sinner because that would then defile you, right? What do they say? Birds of a feather, they flock together, right? My mom used to go ahead and tell me growing up, tell me who you hang out with and I'll tell you who you are, right? That's what my mom used to go ahead and tell me. It sounds better in Spanish, but that's what, that's what, that's what she used to go ahead. Dime con quien andas y te digo, y te digo quien eres, right? That's what she used to go ahead and tell me. To be careful who you're around, who you associate with. Jesus sees this guy that was the pariah of his town, rejected by his own because, because he was taking advantage of them. He doesn't throw him away. He doesn't say, oh, you, you're good for nothing. No, he says, hey, I see you, Matthew. I see you. Come. Come. Follow me. Let's go, let's go have dinner in your house, man. Let's have a gathering. Bring, bring your friends, man, because they need to know me. Right? What, do you, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they said, hey, why do you hang out with sinners so much? Why do you hang out with them so much? It's because, uh, um, you know, uh, Jesus says, hey, it's not the healthy that need a physician, right? It's the sick. So why are you asking me why am I hanging out? You, you want me to hang out with you so I can be righteous and be this whitewashed up? No, no, thank you. I'm going to hang out with the people that need me to see them that need me to go ahead and reach out to them. He sees Matthew and he has, friend, again, we see this recurring theme throughout this chapter. Eight different times, eight different times, Matthew writes and he communicates this, that Jesus saw people. He didn't just pass them by. He didn't just go ahead and, 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 and say, oh, nice seeing you. Okay, goodbye. Hey, so he wasn't superficial. You know how we try to do when we leave church? Oh, God bless you. So good to see you. God bless you. I got to go. Come on. I got to get out of here, right? Time to go watch my show, right? Come on, man. I, I, I'm being real here. I know I'm not the only one, okay? <laughs> right? Jesus saw people. He saw Matthew. Further down, verse 22, and, and again, there's so much happening here in this chapter. Man, you know, the, the, the next stop as, 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 as he gets questioned by the Pharisees about his disciples fasting, and then next is this, 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 uh, this leader from the synagogue, Jarius, comes in, 
And his daughter has died. And, and he says, hey, Jesus, please you know, come. He's begging Jesus to come and to, and, to, and to heal his daughter as she's about to go ahead and die. And, and Jesus goes. Jesus goes. But as he goes, you know, because Jairus was an important person, right? He was a leader in the synagogue. You would expect, you would expect Jesus to go ahead and make sure he made it straight to his house without stopping anywhere because he wanted to go ahead and make sure if that was me, I would have wanted to impress the leader of the synagogue. I would have wanted to be in his good graces, right? But what happens? As Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to go ahead and heal his daughter, there is this woman who has this issue of blood, right? For, for, for many years, she has wasted and, and she has spent her, her inheritance and, and all the money she has to see doctors, to see, to, to, to see healers, to get her issue of blood fixed. But to no avail, it continued. She was sick. And the, and the problem with an issue of blood in those times is, is that if a woman had an issue of blood, okay, and, and some, some would tantamount to be that she had an ongoing period that would not stop. In Jewish custom and by the law, if a woman had an issue of blood, she was defiled. She was unclean. She couldn't, she couldn't function in, that, in regular society. If you were walking down the street and she was walking on the other side, she had to, by law, say, unclean, 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 so that that way you would walk around her and, 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 and not be defiled, right? And this is the condition that she lived in. And can you imagine as Jesus is walking, he's in, again, remember, he's in his hometown. People knew who Jesus was, right? They knew this guy. As he's walking, she has to hide, and she crawls in between the legs. And she's like, man, I got to, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. If I can just touch his cloak, I know I'll be healed. And she does. She finally reaches. She's probably underneath someone's leg. And she goes, there it goes, there it goes. Uh, she touches it, and right there, instantaneously, Healing virtue flows from his body, and she is instantly healed. And I will go ahead and tell you this, that she touched it. But I would posit that she got healed before she even touched it. Because if she would have touched him, she would have defiled him. And that, that would have taken away his, his, his claim of being sinless, right? Right? So, so the scholars, right, those guys who have spent a lot more time studying more than me, you know, if you read the commentaries, they will tell you that, that they believe, they believe that as she reached before she touched Jesus' garment, she, she, she eventually, she, she touched it, but before she touched it, that the healing virtue, the miracle had already taken place and healed her body. So what does Jesus do in this situation? The whole crowd knows who this lady is because, you know, you, you know, when you live in a town, you know who, you know, who the people who have issues are, right? 
You know your neighbor who's always drinking too much, right, and always causing a ruckus, right? You know, you know that family that always seems to be getting into fights, right, and it's always screaming, and, and you hear them, and you know, sometimes even the cops are being called. You, you know these people in your sphere of influence, and they know her, and they see this happen. And can you imagine the crowd? <gasps> the gas that must have, oh, my gosh, she touched him. Oh, no. What did you do? Rather than Jesus getting upset, rather than him scolding her and saying, why did you touch me? You've made me unclean. What does it say? Jesus turned and he saw her. He saw her. This lady who had walked around for 18 plus years with this issue, not had any conversation not had anyone address her or talk with her. He saw her. He looked at her. He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. She was healed. Jesus saw her. He acknowledged her. Remember that, 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 that idea of the gospel? I shared with you the full gospel of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? Renewal. This is what Jesus is teaching us right here. He's teaching you, he's teaching me to see people, to see their eternal worth and their eternal value for the kingdom. He's teaching us not to just go by the norms of this society, of the cultural, not to fall prey to the cultural stigmas that, 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 that are thrown upon people for how they've lived their lives or how many times they've messed up or how many times they've relapsed or how many times they cheated or how many times they, it doesn't matter what flavor of sin it is that, that Jesus saw the eternal worth. He saw the imago Dei the image of God that we all are created in, in every single person. And that has value. That has value. He saw her. The next verse after that, he entered the synagogue, the, leader, the, the, the leader's house, and saw a noisy crowd there playing pipes, and they, they would play pipes. Another translation says that they were playing flutes, and it was the custom that when someone died, they would begin playing flutes because it was sort of like uh, the start of the mourning process, right? So they were already gathering. You know, they had the, 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 the ceremonial mourners there because that's what they used to go ahead and do those days. They would bring people who were ceremonial wailers and mourners. They'd be crying, oh, the, 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 the flutes were playing, and Jesus, Jesus saw this. He saw this. Can you imagine Jarius during this time? He went to get Jesus. Jesus was interrupted. He's like, oh, my gosh. My daughter's sick. What's going to happen? And as Jesus saw what they were doing, he says, go away. This girl is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. And what does he do? He takes the time and he raises this girl from the dead. 
He touched your eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. I'm sorry. He goes in and he tells them that she is not dead, but that she is asleep. And when he went in, he took the girl by the hand. She got up. He heals two blind men. After that, eight different instances where he takes time out of his, out of his day to see people, to acknowledge people. Lastly, with the verse that, 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 that he says, right, he, he, he goes ahead, he goes through the towns and villages. He's teaching the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease. And when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the people. Jesus saw Delray Beach. Jesus saw the recovery community. Jesus saw the LGBT community. Jesus went ahead and saw those who were sinners and, and, and those who were far from him and did not have, and he had compassion on them. He saw, he saw them. When we walk through the streets of our own Capernaum, the way we see our neighbors is shaped by our understanding of who they are and how they were created. Jesus saw people through the lens of the Imago Dei, which means that we are created in the image of God. This was Jesus' backdrop for every personal interaction. Genesis 1, 26 to 27 tells us that we were all created in God's image. Every believer and non-believer alike, we have been endowed by our creator with his stamp, the Imago Dei, this image of God that we've been created in. That means every single person in your Capernaum, Every single person in your neighborhood has been marked by the very fingerprint of God. And when we look at them, because we are living after the fall, correct? We, we, God created everything perfectly. The fall happened. And because of sin, it has wrecked all of creation. We, we are living with the consequences of the fall, right? You know, God didn't create the, the world to go ahead and have sickness. There was not supposed to be any cancer. There was not supposed to be any mental health issues. There was not supposed to go ahead and be any, anything that we deal with. There's a pestilence. I mean, we weren't supposed to be dealing with hurricanes or tornadoes. Or That's all of creation. Those are the birth pains because of the effects of the fall, because of the effects of sin. And, and it's even affected the way we interact with one another. We live lives and, 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 and the culture tells us that, that, oh, if you're a good neighbor, you, you just got to go ahead and be quiet, pull your garbage can up when you're supposed to, right? You know, wave hi to the neighbor as you're going into the door. Don't stop them for conversation because no one really wants to go ahead and talk, right? Everyone wants to get inside the house into the AC and, you know, they don't really want to know what you're about. That's the effects of the fall. On relationships, when, when God created us for intimacy, for deep relationships with one another. And see, when, when we look at these individuals in our neighborhood, 
When we look at these individuals, even within our family, in our workplaces, we're looking at glorious ruins. That's what Francis Schaeffer, a, a theologian writer, a, 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 a sort of called us as, as, as we look at one another. We're, we're glorious because we have the image of God, but we're ruined because of the effects of the fall. We're glorious ruins. And, 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 and when we go ahead and, and we look at someone, it's good to be reminded They're just not ruined. They're just not screwed up. That they're, that they're just not a, a throwaway. That they have the image of God upon their lives because they were created in his image. Jesus came as he's redeemed us to show us the true way in which we as believers should interact with each other, right? That was the great commandment, right? When that, when, that, when, when that Pharisee came to Jesus with the gotcha question in Luke chapter 10, right? And he says, he says Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, right? And what does he say? He says, oh, well, you know, you know, you know, you should know. You're, you're a Pharisee. You're one of the scribes, you know. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the Pharisee said, oh, that's good, that's good. Oh, but I'm going to get him. So who's my neighbor? Isn't that the question we ask ourselves sometimes? We want to go ahead and sort of specify, categorize who is our neighbor. It's only the people that I church with, Right? Because they think like me, you know, they're not going to get involved with the things that I shouldn't be getting involved in, you know. So I'm going to play it safe. Those are the only people that are going to be my neighbors. Those are the only people that I'm going to invite over for dinner. Those are the only people that I'm going to let my kids associate with. Or maybe their kids and my kids will go, you know, because I don't want them to be infected by the world. Man, that's tough. That's tough. But we're guilty of it. Sometimes I, I am. Think about it. When you see that single mom who is struggling, trying to go ahead and pay her bills, and she's never home, and her kid's running out in the street all the time, getting into trouble. That child and that mother have the image of God on them. Jesus sees them. Do you? That person who's in recovery, who's relapsed for the umpteenth time. Oh, I can't hang out with them. They relapse again. And you know what? They're so... Dis Do you see them? their value, their worth. They have the image of God on them. Tim Keller says, says it like this, to be loved but not known is comforting 
but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from the pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. The paralytic, Matthew, the bleeding woman, the crowds, the flute player, the, the, the Jarius, all these people, they experienced what it was like to be pulled out of their isolation, to be seen as glorious ruins, yet fully loved. Jesus saw their glory. He saw their ruin, and he had compassion on them. This is what it, it means to be truly and fully known and truly loved. This is what it means to be seen by Jesus. And I know many of us in here have experienced that. We've experienced what it's like to come and lay it all bare at the cross, you know, understanding that we can take our masks off, right? This pretense that we have that we got to be perfect and we got to clean ourselves up before we come to church because if not, the people won't like me. We take it all off and we can sit before the cross and know and feel what it's like to be fully seen, warts and all, and to be fully loved. When we talk about Jeff, the little boy in the wheelchair, this image of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and him taking the time out to sit down to look at this young man and to give him his attention, to see him, to truly see him, to, to truly know him and love. We, we can't help but marvel at it. But unfortunately, because of our brokenness, because of our fallenness, because of the glorious ruin that's inside of us, we have a hard time believing that we are lovable. We have a hard time believing that we're lovable. But I want you to know today that Jesus fully sees you and he fully loves you. He fully sees you and he fully loves you. When you experience love like this, in, a, in an amazing way, my prayer, my hope is that it would move you out of the cultural narrative of what being a good neighbor is supposed to go ahead and be, disengaged, isolated, by ourselves, in our little silos, and to start looking at 
the people around you, the people you, I would even go as far as to say this, even the people that you live with are your neighbors, your wife, your husband, they're your neighbor. That you would look at them and see them. That you would throw the phone away, put it down, and look and see them. They're your neighbors, your children. Those are your kids, but they're your neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. That when you look at them, that you would go ahead and see the glorious ruins that is their lives. Isn't that what happened to Matthew? Jesus said, hey, come, follow me. He didn't say, Matthew, you got to go ahead and Put in your tax collector card and you got to go repent. Go see the priest and, 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 and offer a sacrifice for all the wrong you've done. And then once you've done that, come follow me. No, Jesus saw him. He saw the glorious ruin that Matthew's life was. And he said, I see. I see what God can do with this man. That's what God sees when he looks at each one of you. He sees the image of God and the potential that you have. That if you were to connect and to be fully seen by him, then you could fully see Jesus. Matthew saw a man named Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that as you apply this to your lives, that when you begin to see your neighbors the way Jesus sees them, that some will say it was your love that led them to say these words. Jesus saw me. And now I see Jesus. That through your interaction, as you are living out the gospel, not just in word, but in deed and in action, as you are loving your neighbors, as you are getting to know them, as you are uh, 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 building relationship with them, that it would open up the door for you to share Jesus with them, to let them know that they are seen by him, that they are loved by him, and that they are loved by you. And that one day they would be able to say, man, it was because it was because Mike Mike went ahead and invited me out to get some wings and we watched the game and you know what I knew he was Christian but he didn't try to throw that the, 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 he didn't try to go ahead and and, and and throw the gospel at me he 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 didn't try to tell me that I was living life the wrong way he just wanted to know me he just wanted to get to know me and 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 and, and 
and that puts their defenses down. And because of that, one day Mike shared with me, and you know what? I was open to listening. I was open to hear because, because people don't care how much you know until they know how much they're loved. Right? People don't care to know how much you got up here until they know what you got in here. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this amazing example of what a changed life looks like because of you, because you saw Matthew, Lord. We're able to go ahead and read his gospel. You, you called him out, oh God. Because you saw him, he saw you in all of your glory and understood that you loved him. Understood that you had a plan for his life. And we're reading his gospel today. Help us to see the importance, oh God, of looking at our neighbors, of looking at those you've placed around us, of looking at, at, at our spheres of influence within our homes, within our communities, within our cities, oh God. That when we look at these people, that we would see the glorious ruin in their life. And that we would step out of our own comfort zones to be intimately involved with them. To talk with them have a cup of coffee with them, to invite them over for dinner, that we, would, that we would practice that incarnational ministry of being with them, Lord, as you, Jesus, were Emmanuel, God with us, that we would be you with them as we share the love that you have deposited in each and every one of us. Help us, God, to remember that you have placed us for a purpose. It's not just happenstance. It's not just coincidence. It's a God incidence, Lord. You have placed us there for a purpose. Help us to walk in that, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.